0: Hi everyone and welcome to fashion decipher welcome to another fd fashion short this episode i'll be discussing the book cartier the untold story and i'm giving my review we're going to be touching on several things that i found interesting while reading this book one of which is the famous cartier maison on fifth avenue in new york city was purchased with a cartier pearl necklace also, one of the sons set up shop not only on the famous Rue de la Paix Street in Paris, but also within a lo- local high end brothel. It was written and narrated through a Cartier heir, the great, great, great granddaughter, Francesca Cartier Bruckner. So let's get into the book. The grandfather who was the founder was very humble jewelry store apprentice from a working class family. Louis Francois worked hard and put his money together to open a shop. And his goal really was to outpace his rivals at the time. And in the beginning, you know, Cartier made also tabletop, like dishes and vases, also as well as jewelry. But it was his three grandsons that saw the bigger opportunity for Cartier. And they expanded it into the iconic brand that we know today. This is due in part to their idea of splitting the world takeover into three regions. Louis Pierre and Jacques split up the three regions as Britain, Europe, and the Americas, which was key to building Cartier into the luxury brand, as we mentioned, as that we know today. One of the things that I noticed while reading this book was that they moved up the society ladder pretty fast and they did so by marrying strategically and not romantically, which is sad on a personal level, but for them was beneficial on a financial level. Um, the eldest brother, Louis, who was in control of Europe, included their mean hum in Paris, was pushed into marry the great the granddaughter of designer Charles Frederick Worth. He did not care for this marriage and he wasn't really interested in marrying her, although she, as he in the book describes that she was attractive, he did feel that she was quote unquote troubled or had mental issues, which he later found out to be accurate. And if you are not sure who Charles Frederick Worth is. Let's do a little background on the designer. Charles Frederick Worth was a fashion designer that founded the House of Worth and is considered to be to many to be the father of haute couture. He was the first to use live models to sell his garments to his clients, and he sold labels into his clothing. This action was how he turned the House of Worth into a more social meeting setting than just purchase and buy and leave. The Metropolitan Museum of Art holds many pieces from his archi- of the archive collection of the House of Worth. So if you get a chance to go onto the Met website and view the works they have online, just type Charles Frederick Worth into the search box and you could take a look at some of the items. But back to the book. The union between Worth and Cartier bought in a dowry. In addition to Worth's high society clientele, they were able to upgrade the business. Directly after their marriage was cemented, Cartier moved down the block from the House of Worth on Rue de la Paix. This connection between the two brands were genius. Um, after a woman gets fitted for a new gown at the House of Worth, she could then found, find a pair of earrings or a necklace or a bracelet to pair with the dress at Cartier. Louis was not happy at home, you know, as he, he said, you know, in the book, he knew that she just really wasn't mentally stable, his wife. So most of the time he stayed out and he networked for Cartier in the night scene in Paris. His second office was at one of the nightclubs or a brothel. <laughs> um, I think they call it Maxime's in the book. And it was a place where wealthy men who were married met their mistresses. He found ways to make at least two sales every time. Most of men bought jewels for their mistresses while there and then a guilt gift for their wives at home because they're cheating. One time, the book describes that a Cartier sales professional asked the client's wife about her new purchase when she came into Cartier. The wife had no idea what the sales professional was talking about, and that's when the sales professional realized that he made a gross mistake and tried to backtrack, but it was too late, and Cartier lost a client. After this incident, policies were put into place to keep the discretion at every level. Um, Louis created a special filing system to accommodate buyers that were purchasing for their wives and their mistresses. The new policy of the filing system, it was where the receipts were sorted by the recipient, not the purchaser. So if you were speaking to someone who came in, you knew who got what, but not from whom. So Louis stressed to the employees of Cartier that it is of the utmost importance to keep discretion of their client's business at all times, even if that means from their wives. And I know this to be true because I know several people in high-end luxury retail and within high-end luxury jewelry retail, and they always tell me stories about how many times that they encounter men who come in a shop during the holiday season or during valentine's day and they do the double gift and they purchase something for the wife and they purchase something for the girlfriend most times it's from the same collection because a lot of men don't want to not know the item that they're purchasing or confuse the two they tend to get the wife the necklace or the girlfriend the bracelet or vice versa and i guess at the end of the year between birthdays and everything else each has the same collection Um, They pay in cash (laughs) and they do not provide names or addresses and that's the kind of way that this goes on. So it's true then and it's still true now, sad but true. Jacques Cartier, brother of Louis Cartier, took over the London division of the Cartier brand and he was the one who traveled the world to find the exquisite gemstones for Cartier. He connected with the Maharajas in India and learned the technique of carving stones. After his visit in India, and he saw this, Cartier began to carve gemstones that Jacques found in India, such as emeralds, sapphires, and rubies. This is where Cartier's Tutti Frutti jewelry collection was born. It is one of their signature styles. On the Cartier website, it says of the Tutti Frutti collection, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, carved or sculpted into shapes of leaves, flowers, or berries, or cut into fluted beads, these stones are emblematic of traditional Indian jewelry, came to inspire Cartier through never-before-seen color combinations. And these color combinations are emeralds green, sapphires blue, and of course, ruby red. So outside of India, no one was really mixing these three colors together until Cartier uh, expanding this look with the tutti-frutti collection all over the world. Um, Jacques and Louis' other brother, Pierre Cartier, he was the one who took over the America division. And he really knew how to read his client. You know, his instincts were always on point when it came to understanding the wants and the needs of the Cartier client. And one of the most famous sales that Pierre had made was securing the Maison on 52nd and 5th Avenue in New York City. Maisie Plant adored a piece in Cartier and Pierre took notice because her husband was philanthropist Morton Plant at the time. The item that um, Maisie Plant wanted was a double-strand pearl necklace. Maisie told her husband that she desperately wanted this item, and um, her husband told her that they couldn't afford the piece, but he wanted to make his wife happy, so what he did was offer Pierre a trade, and this was around the same time that Pierre Cartier was looking for a New York City home for Cartier, so for the jewelry that his wife wanted and he and she fell in love with the double strand pearl necklace plant proposed a swap to Pierre for one of their mansions on 52nd and 5th Avenue it is still owned by Cartier and is um landmark status this is and still the New York City headquarters of Cartier the main headquarters the Maison And it just went a two and a half year renovation that was completed back in 2016. If you are in New York City and once COVID restrictions are lifted and you want to go in and take a look, it's beautiful in there. Definitely check that out. But in the book, it says, you know, this kind of deal, it wasn't as absurd as it sounds today. Brooknell's grandfather talked about this Jean-Jacques Cartier. And he says, you know, buildings after all could be built or rebuilt but finding enough good quality, perfectly matched pearls for a necklace, well, that could take decades. So basically Jean-Jacques Cartier was saying that the plants had the better end of the deal, but kind of think the Cartier does because that building is iconic. (laughs) Another interesting purchase that Pierre made was buying the Hope Diamond. Yes, that Hope Diamond, (laughs) the one that's cursed. Due to the curse, it led so many jewelers not to purchase the stone. The curse goes as follows. There was a curse that was placed on the blue gem when it was removed from an idol in India. The curse is, it's not only bad, brings bad luck to the person who wears it or touches it, but also death, which is severe here. <laughs> but this did not deter Pierre from purchasing the diamond for the Cartier brand. Pierre thought that the notoriety would work for in Cartier's behalf, which ended up to be correct. Pierre found a purchaser for the Hope Diamond, which was Washington Post fortune um, heir, Evelyn Walsh McLean, you know, his wife. Pierre told her about the history of the diamond, but kept the curse secret. And while telling her so, kept it under wrapping paper. This technique worked because she insisted that she needed to see the diamond because more and more it built this intense curiosity up. Um, once Pierre, re- you know, revealed it from outside of the wrapping paper, she wasn't happy with the setting. So Pierre had the diamond reset in a more modern style of that time. Evelyn agreed to purchase the stone, but soon learned after about the curse, and they wanted to back out the deal. They used the fact that Pierre didn't tell them about the curse, and he was misleading. So after much fighting from each of their lawyers, the McLeans fa- finally purchased the cursed stone. So maybe in a way, <laughs> the, pers- the, the stone was cursed for Pierre because it took so long for the McLeans to purchase it and they had to hire lawyers to get it done. So it was a little drama there. So, you know, Maybe that's a little bad luck, but in the end it wasn't horrible bad luck for Pierre or the Cartier brand. After Ms. McLean, which is interesting to me, after Miss McLean passed away, she left the stone to her grandchildren until the eldest reached the age of 25 years old. This is what she left in her will. But the trustees got around this requirement and was able to sell the stone to settle a family debt. It was then stole to New York City diamond merchant Harry Winston. Harry Winston also bought much of McLean's full jewelry collection after she passed away. Winston put the diamond on display in an exhibition tour of jewels that traveled the US. There was someone from the Smithsonian, um, George Switzer, convinced Harry Winston to donate the Hope Diamond to the National Museum of Natural History, which still owns it today. And the current value is 200 to $350 million US dollars. So to me, the book was truly interesting because it doesn't just focus on the jewels of Cartier, but how the brand began. You see the desire and drive behind the grandsons as they social climbed and built their reputation up from um, interacting and connecting with royals, celebrities, and let's not forget prostitutes. <laughs> All of that helped make Cartier who they are today. Um, the story is just so captivating to me and gives you a great insight in how three brothers turned their grandfather's humble business into an iconic global luxury brand. Just from finding family letters and records in a trunk, in a cellar of the grandfather's home, which in this case turns out to be the true gem. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fashion Decipher, and I will speak to you next week. Bye. Hey guys, it's Sean. Make sure you visit our website, FashionDecipher.com, to get a visual on what we're talking to you about. Check out pics from events, of guest speakers, and exhibits. If you miss anything we post, you can visit our archives page. Also, while you're there, hit that subscribe button, leave your email, and if you like, a comment. Tell us what you think or what you would want to hear on an upcoming episode. Don't forget to follow and friend Fashion Decipher on social media. Check out what we're up to. Speak with you next week.